All right. Um, hello and welcome to All Governor of the Podcast. As always, I am Abdullah, and my guest today is, introduce yourself, good sir. My name is Andrew Frankel. Hi. Uh, so first question is the obvious one, but how did you get started? Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, I was, uh, I always liked doing voices. I was the kid at the back of the class making sound effects into his hand and imitating the teacher, um, well, you know, quietly. Um and I I guess it started with a trip to Ireland I took as a kid, and I just sort of understood, like, oh, they talk differently here. And, um, you know, my dad was doing accents, and I was like, wow, you can, you can make people laugh just by changing the way you speak. And that stuck with me forever. And that's uh, out of high school I decided to, you know, I got encouraged, you know. Um, but took a class at a community college, the first one that I ever took was a voiceover class. Um, then I went on to those pay-to-play sites, Voices.com, through college. And once I graduated, I you know came back to L.A., which is where I'm from, and uh, I said, I'm going to give this a real shot, and I did. And I've been working really hard to make it happen since. And what do you love and hate about what you do? Well, I guess what I love about it is that, you know, I get to uh, I get to just sort of do what I would normally do. That's something that, um, it's hard to find a job where you can just sort of do what your natural inclinations are. Um, it's given me a huge insight into how people think. Cause I used to be, I used to just think voiceover was about making sounds and making voices. And then I started taking classes and I started like analyzing scripts. And I was like, Oh, it's about acting. And then I was like, wait, acting, that's about people doing things that's about action and it's uh <laughs> i i understand people and character in a totally different way than i ever used to um what do i hate about it <laughs> it's hard you know um it makes it worth doing but it's um it's a grind and it's not it's not easy to get work especially the kind of work that i want to do and if there's one other thing that I don't love about it, it's that there's less opportunities to be cartoony and really have fun. And that's what I love. And that's why I got into it in the first place. But when I do get those opportunities, I usually get the job. And what do you mean by cartoony? There's a whole, there's a whole trend with voiceover that happened like with Cowboy Bebop and Adventure Time where they said, you know, instead of being a cartoon, it's going to be animated, but they're just going to sound like, you know, the guy sitting on the couch next to you. And so you have performances that are super conversational and there's no, I don't know, there's like nothing cartoony about it. It's so real. And at first it was novel and it was, you know, let's take animation seriously or let's create an aesthetic. Now it's, okay, we don't want anything over-the-top or cartoony. And I grew up on SpongeBob and Looney Tunes and 90s cartoons, and those guys were really putting work into every word and every voice, and they, they sounded like cartoons. And that's not something you hear a whole lot these days. It's starting to come back a little bit. And that's why they hire celebrities, because they're like, yeah, we don't want voice actors. We just want someone to be themselves. And I'm just like... Yeah, then, then then why why bother? Like, why bother wasting money on? Well, why bother wasting money on celebrities when you can just get voice actors? I don't get that. 
Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a tough thing, and I I always um I always say like if it sounds like a guy in an air conditioned room, you, which is often the reality of the situation, you're not voice acting, you're just there, and kids kids don't tell the difference. A lot of people can't tell like when a voice actor or you know when a, when a celebrity is the voice, but they look at the credits at the end, they go, oh, is that guy? Yeah, that's why it kind of bothered me. That's that's why I don't like this trend where like a lot of these newer shows coming out, they're just casting celebrities in these roles. And I'm just like, but why though? Like, you know, what what do they bring to the table that other voice actors aren't bringing to the table? Like, are they doing something wrong? Because like, there's just so many talented people trying to get their names out there that I think yeah. are, should be bigger than they should be. But they're not given that opportunity because everyone's just like, we want that specific conversationalist sound. And I'm just like, well, you're, but you you're know, pigeonholing the, it. You're pigeonholing I used to, it. I used to be real, you know, real bitter about that being like, oh, we could make these cartoony and fun and like we could have the character. And then I, I realized some of these actors, some of these celebrities, they're executive producers on the movie. That's not something I could bring to the table as a, as a guy who's just a voice actor. Not yet. You know, but it's like there's a reason, you know, it's like they got kids and they want their kids to enjoy a movie and they want to be able to say, yeah, that's your dad. You know, I, I'm I am Crypto the Superdog, for instance, but like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, he produced that movie. That's that's fair. You know, you can you can you can get yourself apart that way. I think that's that's kind of the thing as well. I think with Big Mouth, I mean Nick Nick Kroll was basically the the mind behind that, and totally. Of course, of course he's going to cast his friends to play all the roles. Like I mean, of course, like because he's not. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, and, I mean, and uh, there's something to be said about the chemistry in the room, you know? Because I I used to I was an audio engineer at an animation uh, recording house uh, assistant because I wanted to study all these people and see how do the greats do it. Um, but the wrong director, the wrong talent, just a, a mismatch of minds. You can feel it in the room when the cartoon is going to be really, really bad. You can also feel it when every single person's having fun. And that's why it was so much fun. You know, I, I actually worked as an engineer on Thundercats Roar, which say what you will about Thundercats. I thought it was, it was my favorite thing to work on because we had 11 people in the booth. And they were all hilarious. Because uh, that's the thing. I When I watch that show, I'm like, okay, I get what they're going for. And this is honestly not something I would watch. But it must have been a fun recording. And it was because I remember I had some people who worked on that show on and on, on here. And they said that, you know, they had fun during those record sessions because it was fun to play off of each other, which unfortunately exactly. isn't, is no longer the norm. Everybody... Like everybody just comes in nowadays and records their line their line separately, and I'm kind of like, well, but you know, we kind of need to get if you get all the people in together, they get you know the performances will be better because they you know they they'll work off each other and yeah yeah it's it's interesting because I really only started hitting stride in 2020, and so I haven't even personally experienced a big ensemble record except on the other side of the glass. And what what was your biggest takeaway as an audio engineer? So many, um, because again, I wasn't I wasn't necessarily the guy, you know, riding the faders. I was taking notes, running Pro Tools, and all that stuff. So I learned 
everything about, you know, setting up a home studio, which was a lot more important than I realized at the time. And more than anything, I watched what it, what it means to be good in a session. And I got to work on Scooby-Doo and Guess Who. And we did, that was like the show we did almost every, every time I was there. And that was two of my favorite, actually four of the best people to watch and just hang out with were Frank Welker, Great Alisle, um, Matthew Lillard, and, uh, oh no, why am I blanking on her name right now? Uh, from Garfunkel and Oates. Why? Oh no. Uh, Kate well, Micucci. Kate Micucci. Kate Micucci. Yeah. So they're all professional, all fun, but, you know, in terms of feeling good in a room with people, which is so much of the job, that's the big takeaway I had. It's like, oh, it's not, it's not, oh, can he do the voice? It's, would we like to work with him? Can he take direction? You know, Tom Kenny, I never saw him flub a line, not once. <laughs> uh, what was it like watching Frank Welker work? He's the best. Honestly, he's like gold standard in terms of professionalism. Um, I always think think about like when people would walk into the studio, you could tell if it was their first time in the studio. And Frank, he would just sort of breeze in, you know, sort of nod. He was quiet and he wouldn't really talk um, till he sat down. He'd start telling stories and he had great stories. And that was the thing. In between takes, he he was just a real person. And that's such an important thing to but then, you know, he would switch between Scooby and Fred, who he's been since the beginning, um, and, like, seamless. And then they'd be like, hey, we need another voice for this guy. And he would just pull something out, and it was genius. And he would improvise. And then again, in, the first day, my first day in that studio, he was there. And uh, he he even acknowledged me. And he was just making jokes and he does this impression of a fly so he'll uh, he'll get closer to the mic and he'll start he'll, say, he'll start looking around and be like oh there's a, i think there's a fly in here and then should we wait and so he's, he's making the sound you can't even tell and then it's uh oh i think it went away let's do the next take but it's he's he's a goof <laughs> and he's and he's fantastic also i i um you know during quarantine I, I I was lucky enough to meet Gray via virtual cons, and I can I can just safely say she is one of the most hilarious people I have ever had the chance to talk to. I would always underrated <laughs> genius, underrated <laughs> genius. You know, she, she's uh, I watched her cycle through. They asked, "Can we get another voice for this?" And she just had all these different characters, and she's boisterous and bubbly and fun when she's walking in in and out of the out of the booth and you know telling stories and stuff but i just saw how deeply she sees into not just sounds like textures and accents and but like she pairs it with these characteristics and I'll never forget she has this like softly spoken kind of sexy teenager voice and it was just like you know that even that texture is it all created? She birthed this character in two seconds, just cycling through a bunch of different things. And I said, "Yeah, let's try that." You have to be really smart <laughs> to be able to do that. 
Yeah, and I've and I, I remember one one time when I was talking to her and we were talking just randomly. She just randomly switched voices and just pulled them out, you know, in, in like a five minute conversation. I'm like, yep. Why are you doing that? Like, <laughs> it's like. I know you're good, Greg. Come on, stop showing yeah. off. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but you know, I I love I love, you know, even just talking to some of these people. The pros, they they like they disappear. They disappear when they when they fall into a voice, and it's so entertaining. And it's like you get transported somewhere. That's that's what I always thought was good voice acting. The person disappears, the world disappears, and suddenly. Just based on that sound, you are somewhere else with a character. You're in a cartoon world, and she's one of those that can do it. And it must be—it must have been amazing just to hear um, Frank as Scooby in person instead of, you know, on a on a show. Well, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still hearing it through speakers, you know. So it's not like I'm right up close to him in the booth with him. But like, it was. Uh, there was definitely cognitive dissonance being like, oh, it's a man. <laughs> I think I, I think I said this story before, but I really don't like it when I see an actor do the voice because it kind of ruins the illusion for me a little bit. Like with Gray, fine, because I know what Gray looks like and I know that she, you know, she's insanely talented. So it doesn't really bother me when she does voices, but if it's someone like a Nancy Cartwright, seeing her do yeah. Bart Simpson, it's kind of, I don't like that. I don't know. Why well, that, yeah, I, I know what you mean. It, it definitely changed the way I watch cartoons because now having seen these people, I'm able to picture them and see the faces that they're making as they're doing these characters. And that's, you know, it's a whole other, it's a whole other experience when you've, when you've tried voice acting and when you've watched what it takes to be one of those greats. And what was the transition like going from audio engineer to voice actor? Um, fr frankly, I still audio engineer. Like, um, I'm engineering my own auditions. I built my own booth. I sometimes do sessions from, actually, almost all of my sessions for the last, you know, three years have been from home. Um, but the transition, you know, it's uh, it's ongoing. I'm still, I'm still trying to uh, get out there and get more work and, establish myself and I'm just just barely breaking through but I will say like one of the really cool things I got onto this show Jellystone and I was engineering uh when they started that show on that show and nobody in the room knew that I was trying to become a voice actor but I watched I watched what was happening with this show and I was like this is classic cartoons but they're they're having a lot of fun in a really different way, and so at the time I had I had an agent, and they sent me the sides, and I was like, oh, I'm working on this show. I wonder if I could, you know, fit this based on just the general vibe in the room, and I went for it, and I got it, and uh, you know now I'm I'm Johnny Quest and Fancy Fancy on that show. And to date, that's like the biggest cartoon I've ever done. Um, but to say that it's like a transition happened, it hasn't. I'm still working. And I'm glad you brought up Jellystone because I recently watched that and and it's a lot of fun. It's it's one of those shows where I feel like, yeah, we need to 
it's it's very classic and and it's like it's absurdity and it's weirdness and i'm just like yeah this is you can tell uh this was made by by people who really love you know the old hanna barbera stuff and they want to take these characters and introduce and introduce them to a new audience and i think that yeah they did a great job with that Absolutely. And, you know, C.H. Greenblatt, he was uh, he did chowder, but he was also a writer on SpongeBob in the early seasons. So he's bringing a lot of that modern, you know, bizarreness and absurdity to the classic Hanna-Barbera stuff, which was always kind of absurd. But I don't know. I feel like the appetite for absurdity has really um, grown in the last couple of decades. I, I'm I'm gonna be honest. Like when when they did the whole anime sequence, I'm just like, okay, this is <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was nuts. <laughs> and they got like Japanese voice actors to do to do the dialogue, and it's just like, oh man, this is amazing. Though <laughs> so they went they went all out with that joke, and it was like when I read the script, I was like, oh, that's funny. And then I saw it, and I was like, did not did not see that coming, not like that. <laughs> I and I love the fact that that they, that he took a concept that as simple as okay, what if all these characters lived in in one town and made it really funny? Like I like the idea that that Yogi is a doctor and a terrible doctor. I don't I don't know why that's <laughs> why that's funny to me, but that works for some odd reason. I like the fact that you have all these just just weird weird stuff that makes no sense and and everyone just accepts it it's just like it's normal (laughs) yeah no he's created a really it's an interesting instrument that he's built there because yeah everybody can be there and he can pull out obscure hanna-barbera characters that appeared in like one frame of one episode of yogi bear you know 50 years ago and we can give that person a backstory and we can give them a voice. And, you know, even even Fancy Fancy originally was a um, Cary Grant impression. And so at first, you know, I didn't audition for him in, uh, you know, as I normally would. They, I was playing another character and they said, well, would you like to just give uh, this guy a voice? And so I was like, okay. And I prepared this whole Cary Grant impression. They're like, no, 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 we're not doing that. And I was like, okay, what, what, are you, what are you thinking? And they go, well, it's, um, it's, they're like a bunch of uh, cats in a gang. So we're thinking kind of New York. And my experience of New York voices growing up, because I'm an L.A. guy, was always, uh, I watched Seinfeld a lot as a kid. And I have a natural cadence that people often compare to Christopher Walken. And so I said, well, how about we uh, we give him a little bit of like Christopher Walken, a little bit of Jerry Seinfeld. And that's ultimately where he ended up as being halfway between both of those. What's the deal with? <laughs> He's one of these whiny guys. He's like, TC, what's going on? And so there's, you could even, it's, <laughs> he's frenetic and weird. And I, I, like and I really love the fact that Top Cat in this universe is a is an oil, is a slick oil salesman. I'm like that is so perfect. That is that makes <laughs> so much sense. I, you know, I've seen so many attempts to reboot Top Cat, and I'm like, no, mm-hmm. he should be like a, a snake oil salesman. He was he's basically Sergeant Bilko. I mean, and and if you're not doing Bilko, then you know you're not doing Top Cat properly. And and I've, I'm glad that someone finally got it. I'm like, yeah, no, he should be. Um, a huckster trying to get rich quick because that's what the original show was. It was just yeah. them trying to get rich quick. It's really nice. You know, one of the things that I really like about that 
and that I like about Jellystone is that these are characters, and this is what makes characters characters. That like you can you can feel a certain way about them. You can hate them. It's okay to hate these characters and be annoyed by them because that's what makes them funny. That's what makes them real. It's that they take those risks to be unlikable and uh, and to make choices that normal you know a rationally thinking person just wouldn't. And that's that's humor. That's this show allows itself to be funny in ways that others, I think, have tightened up and been like, no, everybody's likable. Everybody's, you know, just a decent person. And it's like, no, let's be unreasonable. <laughs> now, I love the fact that that they made Augie Daddy, you know, creepy and, and overprotective and, you know, just <laughs> just really like taking it too far when it comes to protecting his daughter. But he isn't too unlikable. Like you still root for him. You still find it wholesome. And I, okay. You want to, you want to talk about like, um, uh, watching a voice actor, um, and not being able to separate that. I watched CH Greenblatt record the, uh, doggy daddy <laughs> stuff where he's doing all these kisses and he's just going, mwah, 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 mwah. Oh my God. My and it's like, like, I, I can't watch those without watching that in my brain. It was one of the funniest things I've seen him do. <laughs> and I love the fact that they made uh, Potamus uh, an otaku. That is just so hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, like, the scripts by themselves are hilarious. Um, it's, it's real easy to have fun recording those scripts. And I love the episode where uh, Jabberjaw and Loopy try to pull a Scooby-Doo and try to scare everybody off, and everyone's like, I already got, like issues of my own i don't i don't scare easily (laughs) (laughs) i just love that they tried to pull that off and it just doesn't work and then they're like well we'll we'll just kiss you instead and they're like i don't want to be kissed (laughs) yeah no they they take they take moments to you know to point out those like just awkward weird situations and that's it, it i don't know you can you can really get a sense of the awkwardness that they were trying to write in there. And that's to think that that's all contrived is really strange. <laughs> now, and I love the episode where uh, Cindy doesn't uh, read a, read a book and she wants to have time to read it. So what does she do? She just like creates, creates a, a ray gun that turns everyone into jelly and <laughs> just to have time for herself. And I'm just like, this is amazing. This is, so amazing yeah no it's 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 one of the more imaginative cartoons i've seen in a while in terms of the writing and like the humor and just like throwing throwing common sense out of out the window and just being like no this is we go from a to q here and that's nice and i was really excited for it as well because you know as someone who is familiar with the old hanna-barbera you know, a library of cartoons. And I, you know, we, we did get some of them back in the day when, you know, when, when Cartoon Network was just, you know, that I always say this to people like Cartoon Network was like two channels. When it first started, it was just nothing but Hanna-Barbera cartoons and, and Tom and Jerry cartoons. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until 1996. Did you get shows like Johnny Bravo and Dexter's Laboratory, and 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 then you got the original content. Yeah, but everything before that, it was just Hanna Barbera cartoons, and that's and that's all we had back in the day. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I, I I was born in 94. So it's like that's the second one that you're talking about is that, that was what I grew up on. Courage the Cowardly Dog, Johnny Bravo, uh, Billy and Mandy. And that's the other thing, man. I, the first like animation class I took was with Richard Horvitz, who was uh, – he was Billy on that show. And you want to talk about a guy who's just like – he can he can just disappear into Billy. He really showed me what it meant to play with intelligence because he was he was teaching me about voice acting and then would on a dime just turn into Billy and go for with almost with almost the same voice and yet he disappeared and Billy was there. It was nuts. I'm glad he went with Billy and not Zim, because Zim would have been weird. Because <laughs> he Zim would do just Zim sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, every I, I've been fortunate to to meet and learn from a lot of like my heroes growing up. And did you ever get a chance to work with anybody on on a record session? Um, as a as a voice actor, yeah. That's no, I'm still early in my career, I'd say, um, you know, plus it's tougher to get, uh, you know, ensembles or like double, double records even, um, as an engineer, everybody. <laughs> okay. Who, which, which one, which, ses which session was the toughest when it came to engineering? It was also probably Thundercats because, you know, there was a lot to keep to keep track of. Eleven people taking notes, switching over, moving between the animatic and the record and like a lot of moving parts and also just the chaos of a bunch of really excited, funny people in the same room. It was that was tough. <laughs> was there ever a point where you had to make sure that there was no overlap? <laughs> Well, that's that's something that they, you know, they train for and that they you sort of fall into a rhythm. Um, but for me, again, I'm not riding the faders. That was the guy next to me who is sort of a legend among audio engineers, Mark Mercado. He's he's there. He's got tape on every single fader, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. And when one person's talking... He's got the script written out and he's got numbers on every paragraph to see which fader needs to be up. And so it's literally and he's trying to capture it in real time as everybody's reading everything. Somebody slips up. He's got to be like, oh, let's go back and do that. Finish up. Boom. And then so he worried about that stuff. For me, it was making sure Pro Tools was recording, cutting the takes, slating, taking notes notating where they messed up, which take we were going to use. It's a lot to keep track of. And and how was, like, I'm, I'm assuming you had to do at least one or two sessions from home, considering, you know, the past two years have been, you know, kind of hell for everybody. So I'm wondering, like, was that any different from regular studio or was it just the same? Well, it's funny. I, I literally stopped working there in 2020 once the pandemic happened. Um, and so I focused more on my own voice acting stuff and just, I mean, everything, just about everything. I did another show called Gus the Itsy Bitsy Night uh, where I play Shadow Knight and 
that was in person. But again, I guess being in that studio, I also learned what Source Connect was and how it worked and how what it was like for people to be in a Source Connect session. Um, you know what Source Connect is? Well, yeah, obviously. Okay. And that's the thing everybody's been using for the past two years. Okay, because I realize I'm like, that's like me just sort of throwing out a term that not everybody's using. But um, basically, it's like I'm I'm talking into the microphone, and instead of recording it on my computer, it's coming in on somebody else's. So that's like I learned the sensibilities you need to have and like playing with the dead air on that and being like, all right, well, are they – do they hate it or are they listening back? And I'm not, uh, I don't honestly, like I've, I've probably become very comfortable just <laughs> working with uh, silence on the other end of a, of a phone. Just the sound of silence, not knowing if they like to take or not, just being like, okay, we'll just, yeah. we'll just and move sometimes, forward. <laughs> sometimes I throw some weird stuff out there and and, and it's like, off what's happened before is like I go oh maybe I shouldn't have made that joke and there's silence on the other end for like 10 or 15 seconds and then they press down the talkback button and I hear everybody in the room is laughing and I was like they go sorry we didn't mean to keep you in the dark there so it's um I don't know I I play it a little fast and loose sometimes in sessions but it usually pays off and that's another thing I want to point out is that you know if you're not having fun doing what you're doing then don't do it Totally. Don't. Totally. I mean, and that's that's the name of the game. That's why people feel like working with you. That's why some people get hired back for more jobs. Like, yeah, we had a good time. And, and who would you say was the most fun person to work with? The most fun person to work with? Well, as a director, Charlie Adler, who, you know, he was cow and chicken back in the day and Buster Bunny. And he, he, I took my first class with him, or my second class, my second animation class with him. He he's fantastic because um, he'll voice act. He's fantastic with kids and bringing out um, just silliness with them. But he's just he's just a goof, yeah, and he's got incredible incredible stories and a real signature way of telling them. As a talent, you know, I get see I I got uh, I got starstruck when I when we worked on Animaniacs, um, so. Rob Paulson, Maurice LaMarche was a big one when we did Pinky and the Brain. Um, and why? The names are escaping me today. Dot and uh, and Mom from Futurama. Oh. Uh, Tress McNeil. Tress McNeil. Tress McNeil was the most fun every time. I loved, I loved working with Tress McNeil anytime I could. Um, hilarious. She knew I was a really big fan um, because when I, I would look at the work orders and they'd have the talent there and I'd be like, oh, it's Tress McNeil. And uh, everybody told her that like, hey, um, you know, the A2 in there is like a gigantic fan. So, uh, you know, have fun with that. And so, you know, <laughs> they said, hey, Andrew, can you go um, can you go just adjust her mic? And so I went into the booth and I was adjusting her mic. She starts like pretending to flirt with me and like but in a voice. It was the <laughs> Super uncomfortable. Um, really, really funny. I loved every minute working with Tress McNeil. Another underrated genius. Did you ever get a chance to work with Jess Harnell? Yeah. Yeah. Jess Harnell. 
There's a guy, another one, just cycles through voices effortlessly and convincingly and can go from, you know, being wacko to being like a dad. Actually, in terms of voiceover demos, because I listen to a ton of them, he's got one of the funniest ones out there because he's really good friends with, uh, I believe, I think, I'm pretty sure Chuck Duran did it, but they're they're in a band together and, like, they've been friends forever. And, you know, they say, like, don't ever just do a demo saying, like, I can be this guy. I can be this guy. I can be this guy. You know, and everybody knows Jess Harnell, so he literally made one of those. It sounds perfect. And all of the voices are really good, but it's like it's a meta demo. Oh, I think I listened to that, and it's just like brilliant because he's mm-hmm. just like riffing on the idea that oh, you can't use anything, you know, any specific voice, but you know, <laughs> you can still use the archetypes. But it's just yeah. you know, he did it as he did it in his own way, and it's just. Oh, it's so genius. I wish more it's, people did yeah. that. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like, it's the one thing they say, don't ever do that. But because it's like, if you're looking up Jess Harnell as a voice actor and you're like, what is it? You know, what is Jess? It's like, you, you're, you're new to voiceover, aren't you? And so he's, he's another one who like carries a sense of humor around with him um, and presents it in everything he does. Now, I remember during quarantine, I, I was lucky enough to um, catch a couple of st- uh, st- streamily signings he did. And the energy, man, the, the energy that he brought to like, you know, to that signing was insane to me. Like he would just write down like the weirdest requests, like no requests were weird, like no line <laughs> was was off limits. You know, he had his wife with him and, yeah, you know, he would make jokes and, and it's just like. Just such such a such a great guy. Well, that's that's the that's what I've learned. If I've if I've really transitioned from anything, you know, in terms of voice actor and audio engineer, I used to really think that this was all about sound. And then I started taking class and stuff, and I thought, oh, it may, this is all about acting. And then I would engineer these sessions and be like, well, you can hire an actor, and they're not really going to do it. So hold on a second, what is the what's the deal here? And it's what you said. The science of this all is energy. That's that's what you're selling in advertisements. That's what a character is. That's what creating a tone through it. I mean, it's like that's that's the science of it is how do you use your energy and translate that into auditory information that can inspire an artist to create a vivid scene? Yeah, I think that that nails it because I feel like because I feel like a lot of younger people come, you know, starting up in the business, like don't, don't get that where they just think that, Oh, you know, you can just do a funny voice and that's it. And I'm like, no, you kind of need, kind of need to have that energy. You kind of need to, to, to be willing to push yourself, to, to push yourself, to play, to, to experiment, to do all these things that you wouldn't normally do. Yeah, no, it's, um, and that's not to say that, like, there isn't room for just, like, eh, it's a funny voice. Like, especially in a throwaway, you know, where it's, like, one character who's there to react to something you never see again. Give him a funny voice. Um, and there's still I, – I will always love funny voices, and I try to do them whenever I can. Um, if if I can see it working in a radio spot, in a cartoon, um, because that's that's the fun of it. Giving it some depth – is the, is the challenge but 
if you are, you know, going from, I'm not just making a sound to I'm embodying something that actually makes this sound. And how does that thing think? Then you can, you know, now it's, now it's a vehicle that you can drive and you can steer and you can take it weird places. And that's like one of the hardest things to do is just like trying to, to, to not only, you know, come up with a voice for this character, but understand what this character's motivations are. I mean, it's, it's hard, man. It really is. Yeah. Well, that's what's, I think the challenge there is that often we're getting scripts the day of, you know, like the last Jellystone session I did, um, they had me doing some stuff and I was like, I wasn't prepared to do any of that, but it's like, okay, uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, I know, I know this character I've been in before, so let's, uh, yeah, this is, this is probably how that would go. And it's fast. You got to be quick. Especially with a show like Jellystone where, where the jokes are like really quick, 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 quick. Like there's no, there's no time to breathe on that show. It's just like, you know, you kind of need to, if, 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 if a joke doesn't land, I, I can guarantee you that they, that they wouldn't, that they wouldn't go for, with that take, I would imagine. You'd be surprised. You know, absurdity and awkwardness. Sometimes you want the joke to fail. I'm a big Norm Macdonald fan and he's a guy who like, he would deliberately bomb just because that was funny, you know, or tell a joke that just would go the wrong way. And the, I feel like real, real fans of his know that that's what he's going for. And so they can enjoy that aspect of it also. There's a, there's meta humor happening in some of these things. Oh no, Norm was the king of misdirection where he, yes. you would, you would think you would know where a joke was going, but then he goes in a completely different direction <laughs> and makes you feel awkward for even laughing at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I love those. I love, I love irreverence at the end of the day. And I wish we would see more of that in cartoons. I like, you know, it, I think that's one of the reasons why I made it onto Jellystone is like people, there was a, there's a spirit of irreverence in it. And I like that. It's also really funny. And I think that that's kind of really rare nowadays to find like a like a cartoon that can make me as an adult laugh is kind of is kind of difficult because I feel like a lot of a lot of cartoons take the easy way out. And and again, I understand it's not you know, they're not writing it for me. You know, they're writing it for children and and what have you. (laughs) Here's the thing. And again, Thundercats Roar is is that same example. Um, I there were some shows that I worked on that were like preschool shows <clears throat> or were, um, you know, geared toward younger kids. And the writing was a lot more like, well, let's just make sure that the kids watching this turn into good people. And I go, I would never watch these shows at any point as a kid. Um, but something like Thundercats Roar, where it's not dirty, it's not, you know, it's not trying to be edgy. It's actually kind of classic humor, and I would find myself laughing at a lot of these shows that were made for kids because they weren't trying to, you know, be like modern adult funny. Because funny is funny at the end of the day, and it doesn't matter how old you are. Like, if you have a sense of humor, and it is like an actual sense that some people have and don't have, um, it's there, and it'll it'll tickle you. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. That's why, like, when I whenever... I see someone like complaining about Teen Titans Go and I'm and I'm just like, you know, 
Teen Titans Go never pretended to be anything but a dumb cartoon at the end of the day, so I don't really totally. know why why you guys are so upset about it. Because e- even even the show itself makes fun of how nonsensical it is. So it's just like, yeah, <laughs> you know, they know. Like the people working on that show know that they're making a dumb cartoon, and it's fine. You know, yeah. it's, it doesn't I, I, it doesn't have to appeal to your sensibilities. It's fine. <laughs> I like to imagine that the way that that happened was they were doing the actual Teen Titans records and this is just the kind of stuff that they would do in between takes you know and for that reason I think it's a real genius show because it shows you how voice actors in a room together how goofy they can get and what a good director will do to create an environment where like yeah all of us can goof around in here and we'll take risks and you know something something like Spongebob as a board driven show so they they know the types of jokes they're going to make and what the animation is going to be um, showing, but they play around with the words and they go, well, let's try it this way. And there is a script and there are there's like an outline of like how things are supposed to go, but then they do what's called a crazy pass and, you know, they'll go through the whole thing, they'll do it once, do it twice, and they go, all right, this is the crazy pass. And that's where they just try whatever they feel like doing. And usually that's what makes it in. Yeah, a lot of the jokes just make really no no sense, and I kind of feel like that's how that's how they get away with it. Like there's there's this one joke that that really makes me laugh because it's so nonsensical, and that was the the episode where Mr. Krabs uh, accuses Squidward of like stealing his number one dime. And he says, like, would you be willing to say that on, on <laughs> while your hand's on this, like, stack of imper- interpretive dance quarterlies? <laughs> like, it makes no sense, but it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, that's – in terms I, – I really, I really believe Spongebob is the best, the best cartoon that we've had. It's the Looney Tunes of my generation. Um, and I love Looney Tunes, but, like, it's, it's the only thing that – even comes close and I think there's a reason it's stuck around as long as it has but it's really the gold standard of of animation and cartoons I'd say now, I still and voice acting yeah I still look back at those at those jokes and just seeing like how multi-layered they are like I love mm-hmm. the the joke where uh crabs sends plankton flying out the door and he says so long shrimp and it cuts to a, a shrimp a leaving. Shrimp, yeah, <laughs> so amazing. <laughs> like, I don't know That's why it. that you makes know, me laugh. You know, the other thing about it is that, like, especially with with people my age around it, it's like we're we're watching this, and years years later, these images still stick in our mind. Like biting into the processed Krabby Patty, and it's a bunch of gray sludge. Everybody remembers that image, you know, and then there's like the the paintings of the close-ups, the disturbing close-ups, you know. These were like the first memes that like we weren't necessarily posting them, but everybody could compare things. It's like that episode of SpongeBob where blah, 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 blah. And there was – it's become its own language of imagery that like everybody knows. Oh, yeah. People who have never seen an episode of SpongeBob in their lives – know what spongebob's eager face looks like because mm-hmm. of that gif <laughs> yeah it's it's that's i mean that's really been my aspiration i would if there's any 
anything that's l- like the next SpongeBob, I would. That's why I got into. I want to be the next kind of a SpongeBob guy, you know. Tom Kenny is a voice actor, like I said, consummate professional. Like I've never to this day, um, never seen him flub a line. He's created a character that people love regardless of age. He's cre- he's made it into culture, you know, and like with a voice, with a voice and a cartoon and something that seems silly and trivial, but it, yet it has had it's had such an impact on everybody who who grew up with it. Or even adults who had kids who it's like, yeah, we're, we're going to go see the new SpongeBob movie. It's like, yeah, you are, and you're going to love it. And they do. I think there's there's room for silliness to make a lasting impact on people. I know Mel Blanc did that with Looney Tunes. I know Tom Kenny's done it with SpongeBob. It's what I hope to do at some point. And would you say like those are the two main inspirations for why you wanted to become a voice actor? I don't know. I don't know if that's I never I think starting out I didn't even know it was a job. I just like doing voices. And when I started learning, you know, I came home from from college and I was like I want to learn everything I I can about this. And I did a ton of research um that summer and like by the next year, I was like, I had an agent. I had already done a, a SAG commercial. I mean, I worked hard and learned everything I could. But then it was like, how do you, how do you make this matter? And that's where I saw it in Mel Blanc and in Tom Kenny and in Looney Tunes and in SpongeBob. I mean, it's all about, you know, creating convincing performances and, and having that ener- energy and just not being afraid to play. Not not being afraid to be like, hey, you know, if this isn't working, let's try this or let's try that. You know, let's experiment. Let's let's have fun at the end of the day. And I feel like, you know, after two years of 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 nonstop, you know, craziness, I feel like we need, you know, we need to we need to we need to have fun again. You know, <laughs> that's what I would like. That's what I would like. You know, I think entertainment. I would love it if entertainment was about entertaining people again and cartoons are a great place to start yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know let cartoons be cartoons not everything has to be like a an animated sitcom you know animated animated sitcoms are fine but it's like if i wanted an animated sitcom i'd watch an animated sitcom you know Mm -hmm. like not everything has to to be the same i think that that's the problem with like you have you have this problem nowadays where if a show becomes really popular, everyone wants to mimic what made that show popular yeah. instead of just instead of just saying, hey, you know, maybe maybe we should try, you know, maybe you should try pushing the envelope and doing something different instead of just, hey, Rick and Morty is popular. Let's try doing more of that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Although that's that's another one where it's like I love I love that show. Especially the the first the second season I think is where it was like the best, um, but again I think Justin Roiland's another guy who's been able to create something that's you know infected the zeitgeist. Every like Rick and Morty is part of it for sure, and the imitators are part of that. Oh no! Before Justin Roiland, I don't think anybody ever thought about doing entire dialogue that's just ad libbed. 
because that's what yeah. most of Rick's dialogue is. Most of it's ad libbed. My favorite, my the, my favorite episodes of Rick and Morty are the interdimensional cable episodes, and those are those are completely improvised, and then they animate to that. And I mean, that's that's literally doing it backwards, <laughs> and it's. And it's it never it never fails to make me laugh the the bad planning and it's like I did I did some improv in college and you know everybody was like well we got to justify this and we need to like you know we, we got so strict about the rules of comedy and the rules of improv and here you have him bringing in great improvisers like Matt Besser and they're they're not doing good improv they're having fun. And then they're like, yeah, we, we forgot to justify that, but we're going to animate that anyway. I think the best example of this is the Gazorpazorp field yeah. joke. It's just it's just him riffing. It is just him riffing on Garfield. And, yeah, and, and then there's and, even that line where he's like, isn't Gazorpazorp that, that other thing from that other episode? And then Rick, yeah, just don't, don't think too hard about it. <laughs> and what I love about it is like when he's done with his rant, you can hear Justin Roiland corpsing. And it's amazing that they <laughs> left that in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, the, the even the, just the vulnerability of that is is also refreshing because like we get to see how do you work? How do you think? You know, it, we get a little peek behind the curtain there. And that's always exciting because, you know, it's it's a wildly successful show that isn't isn't like too afraid about, you know, looking really professional. It's like you're on Cartoon Network, you're doing great, you got endorsements, people everybody wants a piece of this, you know. We trust you to take some good risks here. And they they do a really good job. I love how they just like the story train episode. I know a lot of people don't like that episode, but to me, that episode is a great example of how to riff on writing conventions properly and not have it be not have it be like I don't know, not have it be too meta. It's just well, like that's, sort of making fun of being meta. Yeah, I think that's Dan Harmon's effect on the whole show because, you know, Community did that all the time. Um, and this is this is somebody who's always able to look at, you know, I everybody quoted David Foster Wallace uh, in in school, but he did this thing about like, you know, one fish swims up to the other fish and says, hey, the water's nice today. And the other fish goes, what's, what's water? And that's, that's really what people like Dan Harmon could do. They're able to see the water they're swimming in and be like, yeah, well, let's, uh, what if the water's hot? What if the water is cold? What if it's frozen? What if it's boiling? What if it's apple juice and it's not water? Like they can observe their environment and then, you know, rearrange the elements so that it's familiar, but we're looking at it from a different perspective. No, what I love about Community, I'm glad you brought that show up, is is just how it evolved. I mean, because you yeah. watch the first season and it's a typical sitcom, nothing too amazing, nothing too great. But then out of nowhere, it slowly becomes meta, slowly starts to become weird. And it's like, wait a minute, are are the characters self-aware do they yeah. know that they're in a TV show? But it's but they never state that they know that they're in a TV show. That's exactly. what makes it so great. It's like they're aware, but they won't tell you that they're aware. Yeah. You know, another another demonstration of that self-awareness is the episode of Rick and Morty with um with all of the parasites. Probably the best episode 
just in terms of concept um, and one that sticks in my mind. But like this is another chance for great voice actors. And actually they had Tara Strong and, uh, and Tom Kenny and Maurice LaMarche on those. Um, but like Squanchy and Mr. Poopy Butthole and like – that's where like voice actors who get to do funny voices, they're like, yeah, we're going to do funny voices for this one. And it pays off and you you can buy it. And this is another example of Dan Harmon being like, yeah, we can we can actually use that whole. Yeah, these aren't real characters as part of the plot, you know. Oh, it's too cartoony. It's too bizarre. There's no way it could be real, you know, and that's it's like he's he's become aware of how to use voice acting and trends in voice acting as a as a literary device. No, and, and, and I'm glad you brought that episode up because I know a lot of people complain about like, oh, you know, Family Guy relies too much on cutaway gags. But I'm like, yeah, you guys talk about a lot about how Family Guy doesn't do cutaway ga- gags, right? But what about that episode? What about like Rick and Morty's episode with the parasites? Because that, that episode had so many cutaway gags and yeah. they're all well done. Yeah. So, like, why do we talk about the negative but never focus on the positive? Like, cutaway gags in general aren't bad. They're just like you just got to know how to use them properly. I love Family Guy. You know, um, I I I don't mind the cutaway gags. I always found it refreshing. Um, you know, it's just it's a different style. And and you know, I think part of why people rag on them so much is that I think there's a little bit of a why didn't I think of that or you think the rules don't apply to you because with a cutaway gag, you can say, yeah, like that time I, and then put absolute nonsense out and put it on screen. And it's like, yeah, I wasn't expecting that. You've, you've broken the conventions and you've broken free of any constraints there. That's like, it's a, it's a good, it's a hack, but it's a good hack. And I love when they play around with it. I love like there was one episode where a character was too drunk and they tried to set up a cutaway gag and then it cuts into <laughs> nonsense. That's yeah. playing around with it. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, that's, I guess if there's anything, like as a voice actor, you have to know what they're going for and knowing what level of weird is this, you know, is this meta? Am I playing a character Who's unbelievable? Am I playing a grounded character? And you can sometimes you're not getting into the head of the character; you're getting to the head of the writer. You know, it's like what what effect are they going for at the end of the day? Yeah, and that's another thing that people I feel like is lost nowadays in the creative process is that that cooperation between writer and actor. You just don't see that a lot nowadays. Now it's just like. Either improvise everything or we'll just like write a, a, a basic outline. Like there's no there's no synergy anymore. Mm. At least that's how I feel about it anyway. Hard to generalize for me. I mean, because that's the other thing is like I see so many things that don't get made or I'll audition for things that like I go, this is a brilliant character. I love this. There's one audition I did a couple years ago. To this day, I think it's the greatest thing I've ever done. And I don't even know if the show was ever made. And that's, 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 I think, the beauty of being a voice actor is just like you're going into the unknown and you don't know if, if, if anything you ever work on will ever see the light of day. <laughs> no. And every day's an adventure, you know? 
They go like, "Hey, you're a you're a horse who's got uh, he's he's got some uh, financial problems." I go, "Let's let's figure that out." <laughs> does does the horse talk or does he just make horse sounds? <laughs> We're gonna find out either way. But it's like then you open the, it's like, okay, it's all horse sounds, but he's got a sound in financial distress. Okay, <laughs> it's it's hard. <laughs> I mean, and, and you never know, like you never know what's going to take off and what's not going to take off. Cause I've had friends who've worked on projects that they thought were going to be huge hits and they, and they just went nowhere. And then they work on something completely different and they're like, why is this popular? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. I'm always racking my brain being like, how did that happen? You know, or like this, I'm auditioning for this. Wow. And it's, you know, that's the other thing is like, sometimes you're feeling like, I got to try and fit into this. Like I have trouble with, um, with preschool stuff. I feel like I've done it. You know, I was on a couple of seasons as like a recurring character as Shadow Knight, but he's like this irreverent character in an otherwise very friendly world. And so for me to be, to go to like, you know, totally friendly, totally devoid of, um, you know, some a little sinister streak. I won't deny that I have one. Um, it's that's where I I struggle to like really abandon that so that I can be part of those things. And, and plus, I mean, if you're working on preschool, you have to make sure, like, okay, you can't sound too negative because you know we don't want we don't want the kids to to get the wrong impression. Because I know that that know. was. And at the end of the day, I'm a huge buzzkill. <laughs> <laughs> Because I know I had someone else who worked on a preschool series, and one of the things that they they, they get that they get constantly told is like you can't be too negative, you can't sound yeah. too negative, and it's like, uh. <laughs> yeah, but it's like I don't know. That's that's what was great about Shadow Knight is that he's the negative example, and so the more outrageous he is, the more childish because he's like he's a teenager who's acting like you know a three year old. He throws tantrums and like he's. Uh, He's self-important and grandiose and like he's, he's unpleasant. Even his voice is unpleasant. You know, he's, he's there to be off-putting to kids. So they go, I don't want to be like him. Or when he, when he does suffer any misfortune, they can laugh at him. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, cause, cause that's another thing is like, you know, if you're playing a, an, an, an antagonist character, you know, you kind of, you know, you're going to be hate, be hateable. You know, you can't be like, yeah, you can't get the audience to root for you is what I'm trying and to say. The, but the thing is, like, kids are smart. They're a lot smarter than we give them credit for. Um, and, you know, when a show again, I think I think SpongeBob does a great job here, but like they can communicate stories and characters on a number of different levels. Um even a character like Mr. Krabs is such an interesting idea. Like, yeah, you're going to grow up, you're going to have a boss, and all he's going to care about is whether or not you make him money, you know? But at the same time, he's got emotional depth, and we've explored that character. He has a daughter, and he has insecurities. You know, the episode of, like, he's like, I'm old. It was one of, one of the greatest uh, that I, you can quote that episode constantly. Are you feeling it now, Mr. Krabs? And it's like you can a kid's going to be able to see that and be like, yeah, he can be kind of a jerk sometimes. He can be um, single minded, but I like him 
not because I'm being told to like him, but because I know more about him. And that's a really, it's good writing, it's good voice acting, and it's trusting a kid to be able to see nuance. Yeah, that's why, you know, going back to Jellystone, that's why I really like Augie Daddy, because yes, he's overprotective, yes, he's very, like, overbearing, but he's still likable, because I understand why he's the way he is. And he doesn't go into that point where, you know, he's not overprotective to the point where he's like hindering his daughter's success. He still wants her to be successful. And we do see that they, that despite all this, they still have a positive relationship. So totally, you know, actually a really good point here that you made. It's like, we, we don't necessarily have to set a good example in everything that we do. Sometimes showing a bad example is enough to, you know, we can see like, oh, yeah, that's overbearing. That's a parent going too far. And these cartoons, these exaggerations of characters, it shows us how cartoonish we can be, you know, as regular people. And when we can recognize ourselves or our habits in something that a cartoon character is doing, that's being used as a source of ridicule or as, as the... As, the foundation of a joke, we can reflect on that and be like, I might be a little bit of a cartoon. And I think <laughs> that's a lot more common than people realize. Uh, people, uh, self-reflection and looking at your own negative traits. <laughs> that, yeah. no, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying is, uh, <laughs> I wish. Um, no, I think people, people in real life, um, more often than not, and this is what I try to bring to my characters, is like the truth of their existence, of their absurd um, beliefs and behaviors and just like tendencies um, or like their nature is so cartoonish. But we all have this buttoned up image of ourselves as like, no, 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 I'm an upstanding citizen. I pretty much do everything right. And the lack of self-awareness in that is... The, I, probably the basis, my thesis as a voice actor is like, <laughs> you're, you are a cartoon. You don't see it, but you are. And we all are. Yeah, that's why Huckleberry Hound is the mayor makes so much sense to me. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> he just has that, that way of talking and that, that, strict, that strict view. And he's just like, he's so lame, but he doesn't realize that he's lame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's just oh I, I really love Jellystone. It's a great show. And I I'm and I, glad. I'm glad people are <laughs> enjoying it. Like cause because I, I I you know, as someone again who's a huge, you know, Hanna Barbera fan, I was just like, you know, why don't you guys do something new with this property? Because it's been sitting dormant for years and I was just happy someone was given the opportunity to do something new with it after so many years. And yeah, sure, people complain, but whatever, you know, that's the internet that's the internet, you know. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) you've, you know, you've worked in the industry now for a couple of years now. And and do you feel like, do you feel like it's much easier to get it to break in or is it much harder? Wow. Um, No, it is, it is hard. It is really hard. Um, I have fought like hell to get to where I am right now. And yeah, especially to do it the way I'm doing it, it's like 
the the cards are stacked against me. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm this white guy from L.A. from Encino, you know, who wants to make silly voices in an industry that's been like, well, we're kind of going a different direction right now. I go, okay, well, you know, when you maybe you'll come back around, they go maybe. And the thing is, like, it's um, it's hard. It's really it's 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 hard even if you're talented, even if you're um, even if you bring great energy to everything, because now on top of that, you got to get known and you got to get representation. And then once you get representation, like you have to get known within the networks and the casting directors. And then you got to go through all that self-doubt of like, is it me? Is it the shows? Is it like, am I seeing something wrong here? There's so much that could be out of your control. Um, and so probably the hardest thing about it is that like you wake up every day, you see what auditions are there for you and you have to have it in you to be like as hard as this last month has been these, this last six months, for, you know, depending on where you are in your career and what kind of season it is. It's like, yes, once again, this morning, I'm going to muster up the enthusiasm to play a sponge who lives under, a, you know, in a pineapple under the sea or whatever it is. It's like mustering that up every day and being like, yeah, I want to be I want to be in cartoons. Yeah, I mean, because if you're not, you know, if you're not having fun and you don't want to do it anymore, don't. But, you know, if you want to keep pushing through, keep pushing through. I, I feel like I, I feel like it's it's really disheartening to see people who. I know are really talented and I know that should, that should be bigger than they should, than they, than they are, you know, kind of slow down or give up or be like, Oh, I, I don't see the point in it anymore. I'm like, no, just, just keep pushing forward. Cause you never know when the bit, when the next big opportunity is going to come, you never and know. And I'll tell you, it's, it's like that happens where, <laughs> you know, I'll get, it's happened a number of times where I've been like, you know what, maybe, maybe this is the last month I try this and then I move on to something else. And when I have those conversations, this has happened a few times in my life, the next day, it's something huge. And sometimes you never know, like when, you know, because, oh, this is hard to talk about because I know, you know, I know it's, you know, people don't want to talk about rejection and people want to focus on the positive, but it, it happens a lot. Like there are going to be a lot of times where you're going to audition for something and you're going to get, you're going to get rejected and someone else is going to get it. And you're like, oh man, you know, that, that, you know, that, you know what, me and, I'll actually, I'll say this, have, I've probably, I don't know. I've, I've probably done thousands of auditions in my life and I've only been at it for, you know, five years, six years, six years. Um, and I, I stopped taking the rejection personally. And even even in real life situations, like I, I don't take it personally. Like rejection is really just I don't fit. You know, you 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 have a vision. It's not me. Okay. When I stopped thinking about like they they didn't like me, and I realized I I have the opportunity to make a connection and show them where I a I can meet your mind here, and b this is where I can drive you. This is where we can take this character. And I'm excited about those opportunities to do that. And so, you know, most of the time, the rejection is, is really just a silent, you know, 
whimper, you know, like they say. It just, it disappears and you never, you never hear back on it. And it's like, oh, I really wanted that, you know, because I connected with the character or I felt like I did a really good job here. But at the end of the day, it's like either, maybe the show didn't get picked up. Maybe they went with somebody, maybe they went with their, you know, with their kid or uh, with a friend, somebody that was on another show they worked on. It, it's got nothing to do with what I'm doing and what I'm doing is my best. And I can honestly say that, you know, if you're not doing your best and you, and you get rejected and you're upset about that, you got some other things you got to work out. Because if you're doing your best, you know, whoever's listening to this audition is going to laugh, is going to have a good time with it, or, you know, is going to be like, yeah, he gets it. Yeah. I mean, you can't take it personally. And, and even like the best voice actors, you know, working today have had the, have had those moments where, they're just like, oh, what, they, why did, why don't they like me? If am I doing something wrong or what have you? And it's just like, no, they're just looking for something completely different. I mean, yep. If you if you're comfortable with knowing what your strengths and what your strengths and weaknesses are, go for it. Like you know, understand who you are as a performer and what you bring to the table, and then approach. You know, go for it. Don't don't just throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, I had to learn, you know, because they always used to say, hey, do 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 three takes. That was like everybody's big secret. Do three takes. And uh, I would for everything. And all of them were completely different. And being a guy who like does a lot of voices, I was like, well, I could do it this way. I could do it that way. And when I stopped doing that and I was just like, what do I think this is? And I trusted myself, you know. And sometimes you don't even read the specs. It's just, what are the words here? And what's the, what's the imagery here? You get all the hints. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a difficult process, but once you get the hang of it, like, I feel like if once you know what, what you can and can't do as a performer, your life will be that much easier. Like auditions will just be like, you know, you can just nail them easily. They, you you wouldn't have to think too much about them anymore because then you would know what you can and can't do. Yeah. So, yeah. Um. Anyway, I'm looking at the time now and I kind of feel like I you know, I should wrap this up because I don't want to keep you on longer than I should. So <laughs> I appreciate uh, it. No, this has been a, this has been great. Because <laughs> I get to think these things all day, but it's rare that anybody lets me talk about them. <laughs> Now, that's what I do. I give people, you know, as Carlos Alarzraki said, you know, what I like about your show is that you just give us a platform and we just, you just let us talk. <laughs> no, it's, it's great. Thank you. Thank you for reaching out. Thanks for even having me on. It's like, it's a surreal thing because in my mind, I'm, I'm still not quite there. And it means a lot. I no, I, I, and I said this before many times to people, like, I don't care if you've done like a hundred roles or like one or two roles, if you've done something that I'm familiar with then like i'm gonna get you on because like i i love having conversations with people i love um i love knowing who the person behind the character is that's that's my main goal of <laughs> of this podcast is maybe to find out like who the person is behind the character and just have conversations because we don't have conversations anymore yeah. <laughs> not any not any conversations that matter anyway <laughs> i think no it's it's a worthwhile pursuit and i think it, and i appreciate it like thank you so uh, before we get going, uh, can you give us an update on what you're currently working on and where can people find you online? Oof. What am I currently working on? 
that's all under NDA right now. But I can tell you um, in my out, outside of voiceover, I'm a singing electric fiddler and songwriter. Uh, I've been touring, not touring, I've been playing shows around town and in other places. Uh, YouTube, Andrew Frankel, just look for me. I'm the singing electric fiddler. Uh, Instagram, that's updates about voice acting and stuff. Andrew Frankel Voice, that's F-R-A-N-K-E-L. Um, that's pretty much where you'd find me. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time off to do this. This has been a lot of fun. And if you ever want to come back, you know where to find me. My pleasure. Yeah. If I have any exciting news, I'll let you know. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. You too.